Hey everybody, Yislike here. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by A Thousand Dreams, a developing adult liberal arts curriculum that celebrates transgression in most of its forms. Currently, the curriculum is comprised of a daily blog, four weekly podcasts, weekly multimedia lectures, a book vlog, lots of extra content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and a Patreon that includes exclusive content and early access to much of our regular content. You can access all of our content, including a link to our Patreon, from our central hub at a thousanddreams.org. Please send comments and questions about the curriculum to a thousanddreams.org at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. We are Yes Like and Lance Rockadopolis. And today we're going to talk about love. Love and kink. So the word love is what is known in some philosophical circles as a floating signifier or even maybe an empty signifier. And what that means is that love as a, as a word, as a sign does not have a concrete referent. It doesn't have something material or as something that it is referring to. So an example of a concrete signifier would be like the word apple. So when you think of the word apple, you think of an apple. You, you can get a pretty clear picture of some kind of apple in your head. Whereas with love, love can really mean many, many, many different things. Um, another example of a floating signifier would be democracy. You've got Athenian democracy, you've got American democracy, but there's also like the Democratic Republic of the Congo. What kind of democracy was that? Democracy is a floating signifier that can mean many, many different things to many, many different people. And that can make talking about democracy fairly complex. Same with love. However, we do love each other. Lance and I, we are in love with each other. Love for me certainly is the prime motivator for our relationship. The ancient Greeks knew that love was very complex. They actually had at least six different words for love. There is eros, sexual love, which Freud actually sort of broadened to mean the life instinct itself, right? The, the, the emotional force or, or the force that drives the creation of all life. There's philia, which can also mean deep friendship, ludus, which is playful love, agape, which means love for everyone, like love for humanity. It's a kind of a social kind of a love. Pragma, which is where we get the word pragmatic, right? So that's like a long-term love that you maintain, like an arranged marriage. There's philousia, which is the love of the self, which is like, it could be seen as egotism, 
but it can also just be seen as like self-care. So the Greeks had all different ideas of all different kinds of, of love. All of those terms we tend to just reduce to the word love. But as I look at these words, I think every single one of them can apply very well to BDSM relationships. And in a new podcast, we are going to go into each of these terms and how they relate to, to BDSM. But today we're just going to focus on that terribly vague term love and what it means for our relationship. Where do we feel loved? Where do we feel most loving in our relationship? In itself, that's a huge topic. So this is really more of an introductory discussion. And we're also going to discuss what we consider to be threats to our love or corrosive influences um, that we have to deal with if we want to keep our relationship alive and healthy over the long term. So first, we're going to talk about love and our kinky play, right? The physical act of love for us. So Lance, where do you feel particularly loved or loving in different types of kinky play? I like the rough physical play, the takedowns. We previously took a kinky course on how to do that. And that was so exciting. Being pressed down, being controlled, even when you choke me sometimes when you're holding me from behind and <laughs> have me in a rear naked chokehold. <laughs> it's just so wonderful to me. And of course, I love being pegged and just, just in general, all, all the physical, the real primal stuff is, is real um, loving to me. It is for me as well. I, Amazing. I, yeah. Can, can, <laughs> can you explain that though? Because I really don't understand it. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about primal play, which is I would say my favorite kind of play outside of like impact play and the single tail. I always have a favorite, like I always have a new favorite on every podcast when we talk about play. <laughs> and there, I have a lot of favorites, but maybe it's just sort of a deep animal thing. I mean, most animals, you know, you've got a couple of cats and even if the female is so horny that she's backing into stuff, <laughs> you know, backing into furniture, she's still got to be taken down by the male. You know, mm. it's still, it's not going to like, she's going to come and stick her situation in his face, you know, even if she really wants it. Maybe yeah. there's just something very animal about. Yeah, yeah logically, it just seems so counterintuitive <laughs> that like being pushed around and controlled is, is, is is really love. I mean, it feels yeah, like it to me. I don't find it. To, I wouldn't find it to be loving to be, mm -hmm. I wouldn't find, you know, being pushed around to, to feel particularly loving, but I do feel love when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that feel like love to me? Certainly anything that really involves my whole body. I need my kink to be, really physical, really muscular, even if it's, even if it's impact play, I need my, I, the more of my body that gets involved with it, the more I'm going to feel really good. I'm going to get those, those love hormones in. 
Yeah, I, I remember one one session where you were on top of me and basically trying to pin me down, and you gave me basically permission to try to get out of a hole that uh, you were <laughs> you were keeping me in. Yeah, <laughs> it took you a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you said that 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 was the first time any any guy got out of that position. I, I find that surprising. I do like to wrestle around on mm -hmm. the bed. And yes, that's, that was the first time you were the first one who, and it's not <laughs> like I was, I was only going out with skinny little guys. Yeah. You're mm. pretty strong. Yeah. That, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. It took a while. It took a while though, didn't it? Mm-hmm. A couple minutes. <laughs> no, no cheating, no pulling of the hair. <laughs> no hair pulling allowed. Yeah, and you know what? That's what my first slave had to resort to was pulling my hair. Mm. And he almost pulled it out. Ouch. Pulled a big chunk of my hair out. Yeah. So what about our dynamic, the power exchange mm -hmm. part of our relationship? What part of that feels like love? I keep remembering the time where... During our kayaking trip to Dillon, where you basically scolded me and said, well, I told you I was right. <laughs> when, when you get bossy like that, uh, you, you come across as, as very dominant. And when you display a clear idea of what you expect of me and then state it in no uncertain terms, I, I find that very sexy. And it, it also feels loving to me because you're definitely taking charge of the relationship in, in those cases and owning it, <laughs> owning me. And it's just an amazing uh, phenomenon <laughs> that we have this degree of enthusiastic consent. It's kind of, it feels like a miracle. It feels like something like grace. Because every time you obey me, it feels like love to me, right? Your side of it makes me love you and feel loved mm. when you're fulfilling your role. And apparently it's the reverse for you. And who likes to be bossed around, you know, like in who? Yeah, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I don't in, in everyday situations. It's just by the person that I, I am in love with that. That takes on a special significance. And maybe I don't, I, there's no accounting for it, at least by the standards that we both grew up with. Or maybe it is something that has, that has always been there. Mm, possibly. And uh, has been sort of uh, suppressed somehow in the culture in recent times. Anyway, it's just the sweetest thing when you obey me it just makes my heart want to burst hmm. and also when you say things like when i'm when i'm being bossy to you that that makes you feel loved and cared about i love hearing that too but even though we do value our relationship very highly we also know that it takes work to maintain it and we also have to take specific measures to protect it you know, on this podcast, we try to represent our relationship in as much depth as we can, but we almost always try to represent it in as positive a way as, as possible. 
And we don't talk much, if at all, about the conflicts that we have. And we have these conflicts on a fairly regular basis. And we know from past experience with past relationships that bickering and arguing can seriously corrode the trust and the patience and the sexual attraction over time. Yeah, I'd just like to say that I don't think what we do when we have our arguments is bickering. That seems like it's more that we're arguing over something petty. And all of our discussions have been, in my opinion, I think very important. Um, We are gaining a more fuller understanding of who we are as people and the way we communicate to each other. I, I think it's important for us to do that in a, in a highly respectful way. And I think we do that most of the time. Well, it hasn't always been respectful. Yeah. True. Um, go ahead. No, no. Which is why I said most of the time. Well, I didn't, I, I wasn't I, just trying to say that you were actively trying. I was saying like, we would certainly be petty in our arguments from time to time. However, I think that we've improved the way that we argue because it was beginning to damage our commitment to each other. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Even outside of conflict though, I mean, people's love for each other, people's attraction to each other, you know, will wax and wane over the years. And then there's also all kinds of outside stresses like money, family, the physical distance between us. Just the, I think, the cultural miscommunication is is a big part of our struggle. I right. I don't think I've ever met anyone like you or had any kind of deep conversation with somebody with your cultural background. Hmm. And it's yeah. interesting because, like, I've had I've met being from LA. I've had a lot of friends and acquaintances who are from all over the world. <laughs> Right. But I, I wasn't that. in a, in, I, yeah, I wasn't in a really hardcore, super intense and intimate relationship with any of those people. And I grew up in New York where being rude to each other is basically a, the way you communicated. It's right. Was it kind of horrible? Ethic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knew what the other was doing and never took it personally. They never were truly offended. That, that's the thing. It's like, I was surprised that you were like really hurt sometimes. Well, at least offended, Mm -hmm. at least feeling like, I mean, what does it feel like? What did it feel like? Because they have gone way down, but what did it feel like when we, I mean, you weren't hurt when I said things that were offensive to you. I I can't recall an instance. Hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, it seems other... like it was more like arguing, not in good faith or not arguing to come to a resolution, but arguing to be right, right. arguing to get the upper hand and, 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 and the emotional upper hand. That's, that's... Like who can give the, the biggest insult, even if it's subtle. Yeah. I, that... I felt like a lot of that was going on. That's a thing that I definitely need to watch out for. Right. How is that helpful? It's not. How is that helpful? <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Yeah. A okay. lot a lot of diversion tactics and non sequiturs and things that are not productive to the conversation. No, and they were in fact 
putting our relationship at risk, right? right? And it wasn't just you doing it. All right. So what about jealousy? We are trying over the long term looking for one or more additional male members to the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was surprised at myself when we first started looking for other partners for you. And I guess technically for for me, if that's what you want, but sex, uh, the, the sex aspect of jealousy, that's not part of me. It's, I actually f- find it, I, t- I take pride in, <laughs> if you were to find another partner, I'd, I'd be very happy for you. But where jealousy might come in is the, the time and the affection that you give to well, not, well, not so much the affection, but like the, the amount of attention. Right. It's, it seems like it's not so much about the fact that there's someone else, but about the time being taken away. Correct. We, we have so limited time with each other that you, you going out on dates just seems to limit that uh, ability for us to be with each other. And actually I, did recently start seeking again, like it'd been almost a year since our last prospect for polyandry. And the reason why I did decide to go out looking for someone else was because your schedule had changed with your family matters and that you were not going to be available for me. The amount of time that you had available for me has been cut in half. And so that's why I was like, well, now I do have more time because there's, I can't control your situation. Right. (laughs) And it seems like I can't Uh, either. (laughs) And so that's, you know, that's just real life, but trying to take the opportunity to make the best of it. But also like the reason why you do have to cut our time together in half is because of your child is because you need to spend more time with your daughter Mm -hmm. and so there's jealousy there right like it's not jealousy of another partner it's jealousy of of someone be even more important i had a stepmother growing up and she was not a bad person did her best but there was definitely stress between us because of how much attention she got from my father versus how much I got. And she got a lot more. And the stepmom had daughters of her own. Well, she had my half sisters. Um, I mean, it wasn't a good situation. I mean, there's a reason for the, the stepmother, the evil stepmother fairy tales, mm-hmm. but, and I'm definitely not going to do that. And I've knew, I've known about the situation from day one with you, you know, and now it's, it's coming to fruition. But it is an opportunity for me to resume the polyandry exploration. Um, so anyway, there are all kinds of jealousy, right? I think another threat to our relationship is the potential erosion or stagnation of the power exchange dynamic that we have. What do you see as potential like um, threats or types of erosion of the dynamic? Yeah, I'm always concerned that I'm stuck in my ways, that uh, I'm 
complacent with the way things were done in the past and that I want to keep doing it that way when it may not be the best way. So I've got to keep an open mind to possibilities on how to serve you, on how to be more submissive. And those ways, different ways of doing that are going to be coming from me. Right, so exactly. So it's not like, I mean, you're certainly very proactive, but it's me telling you to do things differently. Right. I, I can't assume right. that my way is the best way or th that my way is the way that you want things done or even a task to be done. So um, need to, I need to be cognizant and um, remind myself that you are in charge and you, you need to direct me. It seems like what's what's the, the best term for it that being stuck in your ways being not wanting to change like sort of basic habits has been a source of conflict for us right that it's really like not wanting to change mm -hmm. like wanting to get not necessarily in a rut but in a rhythm or just a a kind of relaxing sameness and that has caused conflict because we do we are going to have to ch change things not just not just things that you were doing before we met but things that we've been doing together those things are going to have to change sure i mean just by definition just because that's how life is on my side i do i guess one thing that i'm concerned about my part of keeping the dynamic is you know maybe sliding into a complacency myself or maybe being too in, getting to a point where I'm living mostly in my head. The work I'm doing right on a thousand dreams and on these podcasts is very much in my head. And that's really my, my comfort zone, even sexually. My sex life, even though I had sex partners, none of that did anything for me. It was my fantasies. It was my own inner sex life that mm. was where my sex life really was up until like eight or nine years ago. So I think I could easily slip back into that or just focusing on mental intellectual things. And that's not going to be okay for our dynamic. You know, I was so excited to finally have a physical relationship that was meaningful and powerful to me and, and arousing. But I think that my habits could take me away from that. And that could be really damaging to our relationship. How do you think I could help you in, in that regard? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I okay. mean, I don't know. I'm on the spot. How could you help me? How do you think you could? Yeah, without starting an argument. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, Why that's would a it start an argument? Well... I'd be claiming that I don't get my needs met, yada, yada, yada. Wait, do you not get your needs met? No, no, I'm talking about if you were to start getting into your head more. Right, but you're, but what we were, but what we were talking about was how you could help me to not do that. Right. That's, that's what well, I'm saying. Well, complaining's not going to help. <laughs> complaining is definitely not going to help. That's, that's what I was saying. This is not about you meeting your need, about you helping me meet my needs. Right. So is there any way that you could help me? Yes, I can suggest for us to do 
or get back to doing physical stuff like the kayaking, like the hikes. So the exercising that gets That's a good idea. that that gets you back into your body. Another issue that I that I think we need to address in terms of our physical relationship is hormonal. Pretty soon I'm going to start going into a lot of estrogen withdrawal and yeah. And just also just stress, just life stressors. Um, I think we also have the typical sort of childhood. I don't know how typical they are, but they seem pretty widespread uh, childhood, emotional baggage connected to attachment issues. You know, did we get what we needed from our parents at a young age? And um, these are all stressors on the relationship that if we don't actively deal with them could end up damaging the relationship. I mean, we've both gone through divorces after long marriages, mm -hmm. we've both, and that's kind of an asset in that we both have experienced the sort of steady corrosion of love in a long-term relationship. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah. And it's not just childhood. It's, it's even everyday pressures of social conditioning and everyone likes to think that they're above that, but those pressures are very strong. We talked about alpha males and beta males, Simpson subs, those Simpson subs being used in a pejorative sense, primarily meaning and describing men who are overly concerned with the way women perceive them and constantly seeking approval from others. So they put on a show of being big and masculine and aggressive sometimes. Do you see you struggling with that in our relationship? O occasionally, not in our relationship, but I, I get the sense that if I were to be outed, that it would be viewed in a negative way and it, and it might even affect my career. Yeah, in general, too, like as kinksters, we are not supported by society at large, like vanilla couples are. As a femdom couple, especially, like we're a small minority in the kink community. So we don't have the social support, the cultural support that the majority male dom couples have. You know, they're represented all over kinky social media. So the vast majority mm -hmm. of couples are male dom a lot of times I feel like I'm being looked at as a novelty at a munch. And, you know, I, I do occasionally get tested by male doms who just are weirded out that I'm there. I was warned when I, you know, started exploring by other doms that that was going to happen. So, yeah. But the just... point is, is that we're just not supported. We are right. outside of the norm, you know, kind of like, I don't know, maybe a little bit like gay couples in the past and probably in, in the present in a lot of places were just looked at as an oddity and a threat to, to the male dominant norm. And society in general, I think there's this perception that, that female doms are basically always in tight short skirts and wielding whips that they're, that they're basically, um, service tops. <laughs> Yeah, uh, not so much as a joke, but a caricature, I would say. Right. I mean, all, how many representations of 
lifestyle doms have you seen out there in the world? I mean, I even in popular culture, like I've seen one from the movie Billions, mm-hmm. right? A, a true lifestyle dom represented very well as right. a lifestyle dom and and a real person. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, a sex worker or just a, a caricature, a cartoon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, marriages need a community around them to help them thrive and you know we we don't necessarily get that community support so that's a, just an issue we do however have for aging what i've noticed in the community is that there are several women who are 20 20 years or so so older than i am who are very sexually active very sensual and very much proactive in enjoying their bodies and their sexuality and these are people who Unless they're taking estrogen, they're definitely past menopause. So I, so we could, it would be great if we could talk to them more about that and how they're staying physically vibrant in a sexual way. Yeah, that's... and in a kinky way. Yeah, it's awesome. But staying healthy and fit seems to be really important. Like one of them is a yoga instructor, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, very very much about health and fitness i mean we live in colorado you know it's it's a very health healthy fitty kind of a place very very granola and health oriented we need you know like you said about kayaking i mean not just for the physical piece but just for getting out and doing stuff i think we need more adventures yeah i'm i'm definitely a proponent of staying healthy and phys, uh, physically fit COVID has really put a, the kibosh, as my mother would say, on all of that fun stuff or a lot of it. I mean, we can still do outdoor stuff, but we were going to concerts. We were going to plays. There was mm-hmm. all kinds of new things that we were trying, and, and then that just got wiped away. But it's coming back. It's coming back. Yeah, we mentioned also the arguing and you came up with a great technique for me to paraphrase what you were saying. I'm pretty bad at it currently, but hopefully I'll be getting better over time. Right. So I didn't come up with that idea. That was not something that I just <laughs> well, invented it, off the top of my head. It was new for um, me and it came from right. you. So you get the credit. Right. And it was from um, a, a seminar and, and then a group that I was in in a large institution that was about dialogue, right? And why are, why are you communicating? Are you communicating to understand or are you communicating to win? No one ever really wins in a debate unless it's a formal sport-like debate. And one important aspect of dialoguing to understand is to try to paraphrase what the other person is saying so that you really do understand what they're saying and so that they know that you understand. I think paraphrasing has been the most important communication technique that we have because of the really significant cultural differences between us. We sometimes we're talking to each other and we are completely, we'll go talking for 45 minutes and have no actual understanding of what the other person is saying. You know, I think that not necessarily connected just to cultural issues, but that we, I think we have trust issues. We don't always necessarily trust that the other person is talking to us from a place of goodwill or good faith. 
Is that is that true of you? Sometimes. Because you certainly react it defensively. Yeah, I right? react defensively when I feel like I'm being accused. And that's a big trigger for me. And me just bringing up something that I need, that I want to cha- have changed becomes an accusation to you. Right. Instead of saying, yeah, possibly. I need you to do X instead of Y, I'm, it's coming across as you're a bad person for doing X. Yeah, that's the way it feels, I, I would say. Right. That's, that's a good summation of how yeah. it's coming across. But how am I ever going to get Y out of you if, uh, if we can't have those conversations? Right. I, I think that we can. It's just a matter of working through triggers, like I said, and getting emotional over what the other person is saying. I think that would help. And also, like, there's this whole submissive speech thing, because overlaid on top of all of this or, or underlying all of this, pervading all of these normal sort of everyday communication difficulties and relationship challenges is this extremely intense dynamic. Right. There's the protocol that, uh, that I need to maintain. And it's really hard in the moment when I get emotional to keep my voice on an even level and ask for clarifications and use less commanding language and, and add more questions and requests to gain a fuller understanding of what you're saying. So, and this is actually all of these things that you just mentioned are from a website. Yes. Right? Submissiveguide.com. There are, there is guidance available to us submissives on how to behave and how to speak to your partners. How do you feel about that? Like earlier, you know, a few minutes ago, I was talking about how loved I feel when you do act submissive, right? When just submissive gestures, submissive body language, tone of voice, facial expressions, they just fill me with love. How do you feel about acting that way? Well, it shows you that I'm trying. I'm really, really trying to be in the dynamic and I'm respecting our protocols and primarily giving you respect as well. To, to me, that's like a service that I can provide to make you feel good. So, but it also, is it natural? Like it, like it looks like it's, it's a very natural, like, like a subs, like a kind of a subspace that you get into. Yeah, it, it all depends. I, and I like it when I recognize that I should be speaking to you in a submissive way, uh, because it's, to me, an indication that I'm above my emotional state in the moment and, mm. and that I can actually rise above that very controlling <laughs> emotional response mechanism that we all have in our brains. Mm. A controlling emotional response mechanism. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's the reti- reptilian brain that you want to have take over and just lash out or run away or whatever, but... In, in the moment, it's it's nice to have that feeling that, oh, I don't have to behave in a destructive manner. In a fight or flight way. Right. The worst one is play dead, which is to completely shut down. Right. 
that seems to be the biggest fear for you. Yeah, that's that. that's what I attribute the failure of my first marriage to. It's basically a shutting down, not caring. Yeah, I think that with my husband, husband in my first marriage, that was a big part of the problem too. Maybe because I'm pretty aggressive. I'm aggressive such that playing dead might be the only safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you've gotten better at not responding with a fight, flight, or play dead response since we've been together? Most certainly, like orders of magnitude. <laughs> I think you've definitely shown me a different way of being a more productive way. That's great to hear. And more loving. Well, you were loving to begin with. You're just a big... A big hunk of <laughs> radiant love energy, actually. I mean, right from the, that, that the lovingness has always been there. Um, hmm. Thank you. Because I remember you telling me early on about how when you were in high school to cope with stressors in your life, that you decided that you were going to be like Spock. Yeah. That you were going to eradicate all traces of humanness and that you are going to be basically a Vulcan and get rid of all emotion. Yeah. My brother's friends called me an alien because of the lack of emotion that I had when I was young. It was basically self-protective in, in that I didn't want to establish relationships with anybody because my family situation was so horrible. So you've come a long way. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Any thoughts about jealousy? Yeah, I, I was surprised to find out that I'm not uh, jealous of you sexually. Like, I find it perfectly normal that you are able to pursue other men and that you keep me in chastity that I'm not even allowed to pleasure myself. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. But you, it's more than fine. You love it. I do love it. <laughs> okay. Let's just set the record straight. <laughs> yeah, but we, we went to a particularly good seminar. They recommended honest discussions on how we are feeling in the moment, but don't take destructive actions. And I think we t talked about that earlier in our arguments. Because we haven't gotten past a few months, right, in our polyandrous adventures. Because mm -hmm. neither of the people that we've seen before were really good fits. But what's going to happen when there is a good fit? Right. The people presenting that seminar recommended that you don't try to make those feelings of jealousy go away. That you get yourself hobbies to occupy yourself while the other person is out and gain a new support system by making new friends. Also, they uh, recommended that we should schedule everything. Don't assume that you have access to each other at any time, which can, of course, impact the fun and spontaneity of being in a, a loving relationship. But those are the sacrifices you make, I guess. What about the social conditioning piece, like the social conditioning against 
against having a femdom relationship. Well, John C. Parkin in his fuck it books adopts basically a fuck it attitude, like a book that I perused. I haven't actually read it. The title is fuck it, fuck it, the ultimate spiritual way. It's a way of being where you are less concerned with the opinions of others. Did you actually read that book? No, I didn't. I actually I, did. Oh, did you? It's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he, have to, I actually own it and I'll give it to you and you could decide for yourself. Yeah, he's actually making YouTube videos now. On, oh, is he? On the philosophy, I guess. <laughs> Good for him. For me, it's 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 kind of like a lean in thing, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe Sheryl Sandberg is the the chick version of that, right? Where it's the opposite. It's like instead of like blowing it off, leaning into it, challenging ourselves and each other in uh, in our roles to to make them deeper, more intense. The challenge for me really is to find new challenges for you that are also going to be meaningful to me more than just pushing your pain threshold or your humiliation threshold. You know, how much more chewed up dirt filled food can you eat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a limit to how interesting that is. But in terms of, of getting over the social conditioning, like another thing that that will be helpful in the semi foreseeable future is just coming out. I feel like not being out is making me more ashamed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is is colluding with the social conditioning. It may never go away completely, but being completely out, would, I think, would help me go a long way toward letting go of social conditioning, letting go of sort of the vestigial shame of mm -hmm. my sexuality and my relationship preferences, my need for power. Yeah, and you mentioned that having a profession that supports the kink community or is kink related, that would definitely help. Yeah, because it seems like people aren't hassling people who are making money off of it. You know, as long as you can make money off of it, mm -hmm. hey, that's the American way. It's respectable. You know? <laughs> Legitimizes yeah. things. It seems like it's more respectable socially to be a pro-dom than to be a lifestyle dom in some ways and then there's the idea of a relationship having a larger purpose like when you get married in a wedding ceremony it's a community event right you have depending on how much money you have to spend you know you can invite hundreds of people people who are you know your parents co-workers you mm -hmm. know distant cousins a marriage is something for the entire community you know, what is our relationship for the community, for not just the King community, but like, how does our union contribute to, to the world? Uh, I think pragma, right? The, the long-term relationship type of love, the love that has, has a purpose beyond feeling it, beyond mm -hmm. the feelings of love has to do with that larger purpose and agape too like the love for humanity, the love for all people. Yeah. I think someone called, defined agape as a love that touches the will. Yeah, I'd like to see submissive men be more socially accepted in general as a group. I've got my own selfish motivations for that, but that's 
okay, I think we all need to live our lives in, in an authentic way. I just want that so that there are more submissive men available to me. Like, I want to support submissive men so that I have more options for polyandry slavery. Selfish motivation. Nice. It's totally selfish. Because I, because you notice that I didn't put down support femdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just support my dominance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it's obviously it's a good thing. And also, I think that the way that I think that femdom can be really important for women is just to provide an example of what a high level of empowerment and leadership in a relationship can look like what, you know, I've learned as a femdom about leadership in a relationship, what I'm continuing to learn certainly and owning power, taking power. I think that that has potentially some really significant positive application for all women, not just, not just femdoms. And also one thing that we've, we're about is promoting richer and more interesting ways of talking about kink as kinksters, as well as in society at large. I know that I've said many times that I find current discourses around kink, current ways of understanding kink to be not that interesting. You know, yeah. and, and not as rich and textured and beautiful and fascinating and challenging as as they could be. And so I think that that's definitely part of our relationship, part of the purpose of our coupling. But it definitely isn't just for enriching conversations about kink among kinksters, but also positioning kink in a larger cultural context through humanity's education of a sort and the importance of that sort of fringe emotional sexual fringe cultural fringe how important that is to having a healthy culture so that's our show for today thank you very much for listening and have a great week (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.